Welcome to Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. This is a bit of a longer episode, and it is full of cool info and stories. I start this episode off by talking about how the lifestyle of a dog can determine thought patterns and perception, irrelevant of the geographic location or breed or even the level of abuse. I am referring to what they are accustomed to and how they were taught or forced to think and process based on their life, which in turn can determine the most effective way to work with them. This is followed by an interview with Mary McDonald of Extraordinary Galgos and Pedencos, or EGP, in Atlantic Canada. In this episode, we talk about these interesting dogs, their history and personality, their lifestyle, and how that affects how they think and learn, and the rescue organizations and traditions in Spain. So I have a contest coming up, uh, well, starting now, and it's going until December 24th. Provide a rating and review if you are enjoying these episodes. Take a snapshot of that rating or review. Follow us on Upper Dogology on Instagram and send me a DM with the snapshot, and I'll enter you into a draw for a few different prizes. You'll love them. Trust me. And I'm the kind of girl can roll like a guy, but I really don't know. If you're ready for the ride, I'm champagne. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for three decades. This is a bit of a longer episode, so I'm going to hop right into it. This week, I shared a few memories on Facebook from three years ago when I was volunteering at a spay and neuter clinic in Tulum, Mexico. One of the posts was a picture of me with an emaciated, really sick dog that um, some of the locals from a small town had brought to the clinic. One of the local girls came to get me to show me this dog, and I immediately got Erica Flores, who is a veterinarian, and she's from there. And from there, the dog went into vet care and from there into a rescue called Help to Loom Dogs, uh, run by Kathy Corelli. And when Kathy saw this, she tagged the adopter. So yeah, that dog's in a home now and is happy. So yay, that's great. Kathy commented about the rehab process for this dog, saying that it took quite a while, the behavioral rehab. So I just responded, offering some help if she needed it. Another woman who also rescues and fosters in Mexico responded, saying that they use trainers there who are experienced with issues unique to that area. I found this comment interesting and a good topic for this episode because Mary, who is our featured guest, has extensive experience with sighthounds And she talks about the difference between the greyhounds and the galgos, not based on geographic location, but on specifics of their lifestyle. That, for example, leads the greyhounds to need routine and the galgos to crave more affection. My very first client when I moved to Nova Scotia had adopted a greyhound and we use cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT to allow her to adjust to my client's lifestyle, which had no routine, and it went really well. Many of you probably know Susan and Garson Hunter in Regina, where I live. They have many galgos from Spain. One of their galgos was young when scooped off the street and was in a kill shelter for a short time, then in a rescue, and then in a home where he is now. So he was never a working dog in Spain. They are used there to hunt rabbits, but we're talking more about that with Mary later. He only lived on the street for a very short time when he was under six months of age, and he has a really different personality than uh, the others of their adopted galgos who were breeding dogs or hunting dogs. So the way that we communicate and relate to those dogs is different, even though they're all the same breed and from the same place. It's different because what they learned and how they use their brain was different, in particular under six months, but all the way up as they're learning and developing and growing. 
Many of the dogs in the rescue organizations local to me in Regina are from Northern Reserves, where they are street dogs essentially, but they're also often community dogs. I have worked with hundreds of these dogs. I find these dogs very similar to the Mexican mutts that I've worked with both in Mexico and in Canada. All these dogs are not abused, but they are mostly fending for themselves. Keep in mind, I only work with dogs over six months of age. So if they are still alive over six months, they're using the cognitive side of their brain. They process their surroundings and they form perceptions based on that. CBT works very well for them when positive reinforcement training can fall short, although it can work as well. So although the Mexi-Mutts have their unique situations, there are a lot of similarities with other street dogs from all over the world. And I commonly refer to other dogs with similar backgrounds and upbringing when I'm working with a dog. That is because it determines the way that they process and think. I have a client, actually, she adopted a Mexi dog that I brought up to Canada. But she also has two dogs from South Korea. They're both the same breed. They're Sapsuris. Coco Chanel lived on the streets until she was at least one and a half years old before being rescued. But Radar was born into rescue where his mom, his dog mom, left him when he was about six months old. He was alone there for about three months and then he was brought up to Canada. So Coco Chanel is quite stable and easygoing. Nothing really bugs her. She knows exactly what's going on all the time. (laughs) Positive reinforcement training for however much it is required for her works perfectly well, although she doesn't really need a lot of training. Radar is anxious and not comfortable with change or anything different. This is probably due to lack of socialization under six months. Radar completely poo-poos positive reinforcement training and CBT works well for him. Two of the dogs I brought up from Mexico were scooped up off the streets prior to six months, so their brains had not fully developed into thinking cognitively. They were not processing with the cognitive side of their brain, so they were still surviving based on fear instinct. They seemed to do well with positive reinforcement training in general, but to address the fear, CBT was more effective. This is also true for dogs from a breeder who have had maybe like the same family and a good life, uh, irrelevant of the breed. When the cognitive side of their brain kicks in, their behaviors can change. Techniques that were effective during puppyhood are no longer effective. They get defiant until their human learns how to work with that side of their brain. A dog's lifestyle is one of the many factors that affects how they think and process, how they use their brain. Often we do not know their history, but we can still address the issues. There is no one right way to work with a dog. And if positive reinforcement training or balance training is falling short, we need to harness their ability to think cognitively, which the upper dogology formula does very quickly. Everything changes. A whole new world opens up when the dog changes perception, especially of us. This topic is really an entire episode, if not a book, all on its own. Uh, So for me, this is my passion, spreading awareness of upward dogology to help save dogs' lives. Mary's passion is helping the sighthounds. So let's meet Mary. Hey, Mary, how's it going? Hi, Billy. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. How's it going today in Atlantic Canada? Um, not too bad, actually. We're having a little spurt of milder weather, so we'll take it. Oh, wow. Good for you. What do you consider milder weather out there? Um, like plus 14. 
dirty. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. is. We're uh, here in Saskatchewan. We just got ourselves a, an Atlantic style uh, snowstorm. We got quite a bit of snow and we're sitting at around a minus 11. Oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we're getting your weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It will come here, but we're, yeah. <laughs> so, Mary, tell us how you got involved with uh, Extraordinary Galgos and Pedencos. Um, well, actually, in 2013, I was with another rescue group, uh, GPAC, Greyhound Pets, Atlantic Canada. Mm. And um, I had adopted my first uh, Greyhound through them. Okay. And I was a volunteer and regional rep for PEI. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, um, they started doing some, you know, um, Spanish dog adoptions too. They, um, they branched off and did that uh, as part of their program. So I gained experience and got to be an adoption coordinator and a flight patron. And so I uh, had a good understanding. So Anyway, um, you know, uh, with the end of racing um, in Florida, with the majority of the trucks being in Florida, 13 out of 17, um, they uh, stopped their adoption program, DPAC did. So mm-hmm. I reached. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I can see the correlation because uh, they're all sight hounds, they're all of the sight hound family. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So what would be the difference or the similarities between greyhounds and galgos? Tanya, well, for those of you who heard the uh, the um, uh, interview and chat I did with Tanya, uh, she's from Extraordinary Galgos and Pedencos as well. She's a mantra. She totally she's she she runs it. Right. She's how you got involved is that, or she's who you connected with to get involved. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. She. Um, She's the president and founder of EGP. Right. And yeah. And she, so even my, when I was with uh, GPAC, we've always um, had support from them from helping with flights to fostering dogs to, you know, right. it was a little bit of a struggle, on, you know, because we were a smaller organization mm-hmm. and uh, to get transportation to Montreal. But uh, that's Tanya so great. All, yeah. Stepped up and um, helped us. So. Yeah, that's so great that everybody worked together like that. So yeah, so I just interrupted myself there. But <laughs> so so, what's the difference or similarities between the greyhounds and the calgos? Um, sim- well, similarities. Um, they're both like they're just like the easygoing, this you know, sweet temperament, um, um, laid back, and I. I Still consider the Galagos kind of like the greyhounds, the low to medium activity level. Like they're not overly active. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of their differences would be, you know, other than they're slightly, you know, in appearances. But uh, uh, greyhounds are very routine because uh, they're, you know, they um, from you know trained from eight months to chase the lure. So they're they they start their they're training early and so mm. they expect they look to you for <laughs> for routine and direction and direction guidance and yeah they're t- you know they're told when they're exercised and when they when they're you know everything's on the schedule mm. uh, when they you know, when they eat and things like that so um i find the galagos are you know they're they're kind of more um submissive and more um 
you know, they're easy going on there. They, they just sort of, they're more adaptable maybe, or I guess it's a different way of adapting. Yeah, I kind of find that too because they they really were seeming more affectionate because they mm. they seek seek approve or uh, you know approval because mm. um, yeah, they've never certain- experienced it. Yeah, yeah, they're certainly affectionate. That's for sure. Yeah, they love yes. they love getting into a home and having a a comfy couch and a person to to pat them. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah the galgos have a a really unique history and and a purpose i guess from from Spain. Can you tell us about that um yes they're you know they're used for for hunting in Spain and um even like same as Badankos, they're both you know date back to bi- biblical times and owned by noble people and and aristocrats and it was actually you know uh, punishable. Um, if you stole or killed one of them, so it's mm. it's sad to see how you know through the centuries everything deteriorated to to um, them being overbred and being owned by you know monetarily. Hunters. Yeah. So are they yeah. are these hunters commonly? Uh, it's it's for money or it's for sport or are they they part of the family? So when you're talking about how that changed through the history. From being a almost like a pharaoh style dog, where they're worshipped, yeah. to to um, that changing is is that I, I'm I'm going to take a wild and crazy guess here and say a lot of that has to do with money. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say in the you know early on you know 17th century you kind of see the history of it, but um, they became so popular with, you know, with the breeding. And then, like I said, like anybody could own them. And um, it's basically they're used for, you know, the hunting, the hares, the rabbits. They're actually considered a nuisance over there. And there is, a you know, uh, abundance of them running, running, running everywhere. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, some hunters use them for, they, you know, you see rabbit in the grocery store. So obviously they sell them and things like that. And then there's like, the politicians and police, um, you know, members that hunt just for sport. So, it's, so the it's, more elite, it's considered more of an elite sport. Um, for some, some, some yeah. of them, it's kind of a livelihood. I guess they use them like they sell, they sell the rabbits. Yeah. Um, so, I yeah. guess like anything else, it depends on on why they're doing them, and and I guess some of them would be part of their families, and they're just they're working dogs, but they're part of their families. Some are, um, yeah, no, some are kept, you know, I know of one uh, hunter in Spain that he keeps his pedencos. He has, uh, I think, around five. Um, he he mm-hmm. hunts with them, but he keeps them in his, in his, in his house. Like they're, you know, pets to him. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah, he, he likes to show videos of them hunting there and lazing around on the sun porch and things like that. Um, so he, he oh. and he's a big advocate for helping rescues and things like that so um yeah there's certainly some some good sides of that part so i'm sure the people uh out there in the listener world uh who live in uh regina where i am are having a little bit of a laugh because we have an overabundance of rabbits or hares here it's it's quite funny it's it's sort of not really talked about and it's considered just normal but they're absolutely everywhere so it's quite funny. Uh, there's there's a man here that I know quite well. Well, a couple, Susan and Garson, and they bring in a lot of. I actually went to to get uh, some 
gal goes from Tanya in Montreal for for a few people here. So they're they're you know they're around. It's just so funny that here we are bringing them to a place where there's tons of rabbits running wild. <laughs> we we <laughs> yeah. don't know why. It just happens to be to be uh, what goes on in Regina. Nobody knows why. Um, or I'm yeah. sure somebody does, but I don't. That's for sure. So it's it's quite interesting bringing them here. But yeah, they are they are sweet, and uh, of course, the people here who adopt them just have them as family family pets. Um, and uh, and if they, I, I think most of them that come over are are pre adopted or pre fostered. Is that right, Mary? Yes, they are. Um, uh, they're normal circumstances before COVID, um, we, you know, we would bring some fosters because sometimes it's easier to place them when they're are, you know, they're already here in Canada. Right. Uh, so, but mostly, yeah, on the most part, it's on a pre, pre-adoption basis once and um, that's so, easier. So have you yourself been to Spain to get some of these dogs or do you stick tight on this end and, and wait for them to pile in? No, I've, I've, I've been to Spain four times the last uh, couple of years, just, you know, being a volunteer at uh, one of the rescues and uh, being a flight patron to bring the dogs to Canada Customs and transport. So, yeah, I, I've got the experience, what it's like over there wow. and, and the Tell part us. of the work of <laughs> involved. Yeah, I bet it's uh, I bet it's just yeah, it's always so much work and so much effort and so much planning. But what uh, what are the rescues like in Spain or or uh, you know the ones you're familiar with? Were you with uh, Goggles and Familia when you were over there, or which one were you with? No, I was actually with another little rescue, um, Podenko Friends. So I, I oh, spent okay. my time outside of Murcia. She's uh, Beverly Farmers, um, the founder of that group. Uh, sorry, that rescue. And um, so I, I was there, I think it was three times I volunteered there. I stayed a, a oh. week or so. Yeah, and I really got to see how much <laughs> hard work it is, like looking after the dogs. And, it's, you know, it's it's quite quite amazing to see that side of it. So, um, mm-hmm. but I, for those I have. Of... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. I was going to say I haven't gotten the chance uh, yet to, to um visits uh or new affiliate shelters with egp so i'm looking forward to that yeah i bet well i i talk about the galgos a fair bit in my book for those of you out there who uh who have my book uh galgos and familia actually run by gail i have some quotes in there and that is that is quite a uh well i guess according to to gail it's a i just it has more resources and is a little bit um better off than some of the rescues in more remote areas or just some of the smaller rescues? Um, yes, because they're closer to, it, it's, they're closer to the airport to like Malaga, mm-hmm. um, where we usually fly the dogs from there to Montreal. And um, they have a lot of really good volunteer base. So um, that's helpful. And they use like a lot of, you know, um, foster homes and, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they've, they've got good resources for sure. Yeah, and some of the some of the rescues over there are literally struggling just to get, uh, you know, buckets or I mean, it rescues everywhere. As uh, anyone who's listened to my episodes in season four, rescues everywhere struggle with resources, whether that's uh, money or food or veterinarian care. Uh, you know, all rescues 
struggle with that. I just, uh, it's just quite a, um, a wide variety within a small area. And, um, and they're all really trying hard to, to help these dogs get out of the situation that they're in when they are, are dumped, which we didn't talk too much about, but when these hunters no longer need them or want them, uh, they tend to just be, be um, killed one way or another. And so what these rescues are trying to do is take them in and get them in prior to them being killed. So, um, um, yeah, exactly. They do. And yeah, they, um, you know, they take them out of the, the pairs, like they're called the killing stations over there. Um, um, and, you know, and I actually, you know, some hunters, they deal with some hunters that are, are, are kind enough to, to, um, to, to hand their dogs into them. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, a you know, that's wonderful there that they have that yeah. relationship. Yes, um, that is. And, and you know, so that they're not, you know, they all, they're not all bad. You know, there's some, but, yeah. that, that uh, well, they're people like <clears throat> any other people and they run their business, like all businesses, you know, it depends on the relationship that they have and who they are and, and a lot of different factors, I'm guessing. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so there's quite a few that I have in my show notes of these rescues, and I'll have the links to, to them if you want to check them out and check out what they're all about. Um, there's ones that, like we we're saying, big or smaller have different, but if you have any listeners out there have any interest in learning about them or helping out in different ways, you can go to the show notes and I'll have the links to these different rescues there. Um, so just to, to follow through with this now, now you're over there, you're, you're, uh, volunteering at these, these different <laughs> rescue organizations, and now you're coming back to Canada. Uh, there's obviously, um, paperwork involved in that and veterinarian care. Uh, is there also, um, you know, do they need to be quarantined? Um, no, um, actually no, everything is, um, on the Spanish side, everything's done, you know, um, to protocol to, you know, requirements to get into Canada. So basically, um, just going through Canada customs, you show the paperwork, it's, it's all straightforward. Um, and yeah, it's, it's usually pretty hassle, hassle free. So that's lucky great. there yeah, That's everything's, great. yeah everything's in order so yeah yeah um, yeah it's quite uh, quite exciting to see all these uh because usually uh tanya well i know with tanya she brings over quite a few at one time so it's quite amazing to see them come off the plane and come into the airport and and yeah they're just beautiful dogs so that's really great how many dogs have you had and and uh where are they now when when you adopt them out um Oh, how many dogs I've, I've um, of the Galgos and Pedencos? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, there was twelve. Um, since we officially started up in, um, as EGP Atlantic Canada last fall, mm. so there was twelve wow. um dogs. Um, there's ten on PEI actually. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> one in Newfoundland. I know one in Newfoundland, and so almost more than the population. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good. Spanish dog island. Yeah, Spanish dog island. That's awesome. Um, I'm just so lucky to have um, support and people that that know me from Greyhound Adoptions um, that that, um, to uh, reach out to me or 
or, you know, things like that. So it's great. Um, yeah. Because people is. love their side hounds and with no greyhounds, they're like, okay, yeah. Yeah. And they'll go. That's yeah. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense. And that's great that they can continue helping and, and volunteering and being part of it. That is really, really great. So how can people learn more about your organization or help your organization? Um, the, well, I always say the biggest thing is, is um, spreading awareness right. um, why the dogs need us. And, um, you know, you can volunteer in your own province, like Atlantic Canada, if you, you don't want to do any fundraising. Um, you can find us on Facebook and our website. Um, Great. Yes, um, awareness is key. Actually, that's what this podcast is all about. So, you know, spreading awareness yeah. and uh, sharing and and just educating because it's just so interesting what people do out there for their passion or what they're what uh, has sort of really you know pulled at their heartstrings and what they've done to to help animals, dogs in particular, but all sorts of animals. And uh, yeah, the, the um, galgos and pedencos are really so interesting. And it's just so many people have come together to help them and to, to bring them to Canada and to the States. Obviously, the States uh, bring in a lot of them as well. And, and I'm sure other, other countries as well. So it's just so great to see. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it, it is wonderful. And um, I think, yeah, like I said, like awareness, because people can't really grasp sometimes I think like you know 150,000 a year of these dogs are are abandoned or killed like it's that's a yeah it's it is it's an an enormous number and and the first thing people think is you know why and it's it does happen actually at uh at the end of hunting season which is uh spring is that correct February 1st. Yeah. February 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Hunting season starts in October and runs till February 1st in Spain. So that's when we get nervous and scared because <laughs> we know of all the yeah. poor dogs that yeah. uh, need help. So, yeah. um, and yeah. um, to, okay. you know, the traditions that they do um, to uh, get rid of them. So, yeah. yeah. And those are pretty. Yeah. And what you said before, not everyone does that, but tradition is still running high there where they can hang them from trees or just, you know, pull them, drag them from behind their car or however they use to, to, uh, you know, if the dog didn't win or I guess winning would be getting the rabbit or however they, they rate the uh, importance or success of that dog determines often its future, whether it lives. Yeah. How yeah, exactly. If they're, if they're a good hunting dog, and it's actually some believe that more painful the death uh, of the dog, um, the better luck they will have the next hunting season. So um, that's, that's a tradition that needs to be, yeah, needs to yeah. be just dumped. And it's it's cheaper for them to get rid of them mm-hmm. than feed them. It's cheaper yeah. to go buy another dog in this uh, when hunting season starts again than to keep the ones, um, you know, uh, when hunting season is over. So that's why it's, they don't feed yeah. them. They just, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So again, goes back to money. <laughs> yeah. Money, yeah. money and status, right? Yeah. 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 Rarely, uh, rarely a good thing for animals. The future. No, I know. Yeah. It's yeah. Very, very sad and unfortunate. 
Well, well, thank you for sharing all this because it it is a little, it's so hard to talk about such a big topic in such a small amount of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we yeah. really appreciate you joining us. And uh, um, again, I'll have all your links in the show notes as well. And if people are interested in learning more, they can check that out. And uh, thank you so much for all you do for the dogs in, in your, whether it was in your uh, previous with the, the greyhounds and currently, and uh, I really look forward to keeping in touch with you. Yeah. Yes. No, me too. I'm, you know, I um, am really enjoying your podcasts. They're very informative and uh, thank you so much again for having me. Well, thank you. Spreading awareness. Thank you. Take care. Thanks to Mary for all she does for the dogs and to all the people in Spain and around the world who help these dogs. Don't forget to enter the contest, follow Upper Dogology on Instagram, leave a rating and review, and send a picture of it. Visit the show notes. There's lots of links there. There's also links to the other podcasts that I am a guest on. They're great, great podcasts. And there's also links to Danielle Bourgeau, who provided the music clips. She rocks. If you have any questions, please email me at billy at upperdogology.com. Thanks to everyone who follows their passion to help the world be a better place. Enjoy your learning journey. <laughs>